This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You can be seated. One of the first words that our daughter Emerson could say was light. We would often ask her, Emmy, where is the light? And so she'd point at the light and say, light. Uh, we started to make a game out of it where we'd go to different restaurants or coffee shops. Uh, one of her favorites was going to West Oak because they have a bunch of pretty lights up in their ceiling. Uh, but we'd walk into the shop and we'd say, Emmy, where is the light? And she would point at the light. Uh, sometimes, though, I don't know if this was intentional or if she was just wanting to mess with us. But we'd say, Emmy, where's the light? And she would just point at something random. And so we would say, no, Emmy, that's not the light. Try again. And then she'd point and find the light. As Christians... We need to be able to point to the light. We need to be able to see God's light in one another. So how can we know if we're in the light? This church that John was writing to was asking the same question. They had false teachers that were teaching a different Jesus. We saw this last week. They believed in a Jesus that wasn't truly man. But that wasn't this church's only problem. They also had those that seemed to confess the true Jesus, the Jesus that John and the other apostles saw, heard, and touched. Yet some of them didn't live in the light of the true Jesus. You see, what we believe should shape how we live. And if we believe in the true Jesus, then our lives should truly change. There's no way that they cannot. And so if we believe in a God who is light, then we need to live in the light. And so that's what we see in our main idea in our passage. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. God is light. So then, walk in the light and confess your sin. So again, God is light. So then, walk in the light and confess your sin. And that's what we're going to see in our three points. 
In verse 5, we're going to see that God is light. And then in verses 6 and 7, we're going to see that we need to walk in the light. And then lastly, we're going to see in verses 8 through 10 that we need to confess in the light. So again, God is light, walk in the light, confess in the light. So again, verse 5, we're going to see that God is light. Would you look at, look at it with me? Notice that John has heard a message. And this message, it says, is from him, which is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. That John, as an apostle, is now proclaiming this message to the church. But what's the message? Well, the message is that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So what what does John mean here? What does it mean for God to be light? You might even be thinking, isn't God invisible? How can he be light? Well, first, when John says that God is light, he's emphasizing God's holiness. He's emphasizing God's purity. There's a great kids book uh, that I was reading prior to having a kid. Uh, and it's called Emblems of the Infinite King. Uh, and it, it goes through all these different systematic theology categories for kids, but it teaches it through telling this story. Uh, and one of the things I love about this book is that when it talks about the doctrine of God, it keeps referring to God as the other than king. And so when the, the author's saying that, he's emphasizing that God isn't like us. He's not a bigger in better version of you and me. He's totally other than us. He's transcendent. He's the unmade maker. He's the uncreated creator. There's no being behind God. God is simply I am. He's infinite, perfect being. He has no imperfections. He has no spot or blemish or sin or darkness in him. He's the other than king who, as we saw in our call to worship, dwells in unapproachable light. This idea of God being light wasn't merely just a theory to John. That as a young man, John witnessed the transfiguration of our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. Matthew 17 says that Jesus' face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. A bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when John and the disciples heard this, listen to this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. John had a similar experience at the end of his life. Listen to this from Revelation 1. He saw one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. 
From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was, get this, was like the sun shining in full strength. When John saw him, John fell at his feet as though dead. Friend, do you have a category for that kind of Jesus? A Jesus whose glory leaves you terrified, shaking in your boots. A Jesus whose light drops you to the ground as if you had just died. That Jesus is the true Jesus. He's not merely a man. He's God incarnate. He's the other than king in the flesh. And let all the earth be silent before him. Thankfully, this light, God being light, doesn't just point us to God's holiness. So second, God is light points to God as the source of life and salvation. So John tells us elsewhere that Christ is our light. That John 1 verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was, get this, the light of men. And John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light that leads blind, dead, darkened sinners to have eternal life with God. He's the God from God and the light from light that came so that we could have life. And as we saw last week, this eternal life is the knowing God and enjoying him forever, perfectly, and holy life. If you believe in that Jesus, then you can truly know the Father. You can know the other than king and approach him. You can approach the one who dwells in unapproachable light. So then what does it look like to know this God? How can we tell if we have this light in us? If you will, what are the signs of life or the signs of light? Well, John tells us first that we need to walk in the light. We see that in verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 says that if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. I want you to notice that there's a contrast here. There's a difference between what these people say and how they walk. These people say with their mouths that they have fellowship with God. And we saw last week that when we believe in the true Jesus, that that we then have fellowship with him and the Father. That this is communion with the God who is light. But while these people might say that they have fellowship with God, they walk in darkness. That they might be able to articulate right doctrine, yet they remain in the dark and they walk in it. Both the Old and the New Testaments use this phrase, 
walk. And it's referring to one's whole life. It's referring to how you habitually live. And so walking in darkness then is a life marked by habitual, high-handed sin. This is why John says that these people lie and do not practice the truth. Some today, if not many, believe that truth is subjective and they deny that there's an objective standard for how we should live. You might hear it phrased like this, you do you and let me do me. Let me live the way that I want to live. But friends, this couldn't be farther from the truth. God himself is truth. He's the standard and he's revealed to us in his word how we should live. And so if we say that we know him, then we can't walk according to our own standards, our own law that we've crafted ourselves. When we do this, we're saying, I'm God. I know best. Friends, that's what's at the heart of the dark walk. It's a lack of love for God. When you don't love God rightly, you will not love others rightly. That if you're on that dark walk, then you might regularly, if not habitually, or never gather with God's people. That you continually give yourself to fits of anger. That you orient your life around sexually immoral relationships or thoughts. Or you cheat and steal from others at work or at school. Or maybe even you lie or gossip so that you can boost your reputation. And you do all that not willing to acknowledge that it's sin. Why? Because in your heart you think, I'm God. I know best. Friend, if your life orbits around this kind of darkness, yet you confess Jesus... Listen to what this passage is saying to you. It says that you're a liar. Friend, that's that's a terrifying place to be. Yet my hope is that the Spirit would use this passage to wake you up. My prayer is that, that you would turn from darkness to light, the light of Jesus Christ. That only he can cleanse you. Only he can make you holy and righteous in God's sight. And so friend, turn to Jesus. Trust in him. This is what we see in verse 7. It says, but if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So what does it mean to walk in the light? Well, first it means that we believe the truth. We don't just confess that Jesus is the God-man with our mouths, that, that we believe that in our hearts. We take this gospel truth that it's like a gospel seed and it's planted deep in the soil of our heart and it sprouts gospel fruit. 
And so when we believe the truth, we start to live in the light. We start to love God and we start to love others more. And so secondly, walking in the light means living in the truth. Look a couple paragraphs down with me. Look at 1 John 2, 4 and 5. It says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments as a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. We see this same idea again when we look down at 1 John 2, 9 and through 10, just a couple verses down. It says, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there's no cause for stumbling. God's love can be seen in us when we love each other. It shows that his light is in us. But that's not just a one-time action. Look back up at verse 7. That that is in that walk is in the present tense. It's communicating that this is a continuous action. It means that those in the light continue to believe and continue to live in the light. But what does walking in the light lead to? Well, notice that John gives two results. He says, first, we have fellowship with other, one another. This is with other Christians. So walking in the light is not just an individual activity, but it's something that we do together, that we help one another walk in the light. That we're doing this right now as we gather with the church. We do this when we gather in fellowship groups or in one another groups. That we even help one another walk in the light over cups of coffee or at the dinner table. And we're going to talk more about what that looks like in a second. But secondly, when we walk in the light, we find cleansing. So how can sinners live in fellowship with God and his people. They need to be cleansed. They need a sacrifice that will atone for their sins. And that's what we have in Jesus Christ. His blood cleanses us from all of our guilt and all of our shame. Our sins have been paid for in full by him. And if you've trusted in Jesus, then you are Holy, you are blameless, you are above reproach in God's sight. And that's what we would call positional sanctification. But the verb cleanse here is actually, it's in the present tense. Again, it's communicating a continuous action. And so that's something that we would call progressive sanctification. This means to be continually made holy. So simply as we walk in the light, we become more like Christ, that we become more and more conformed to his light and his image, that we desire to put sin to death more, we desire to love God and others more, and Christ's light shines brighter in us the longer we walk with him. We have a lamp in our house that when you turn it on, it's super dim. It's like, why did I even bother turning this thing on? But if you let it sit for about five minutes, it just keeps getting brighter and brighter, and it fills up the whole room. 
And likewise, when we walk in the light, the more Christ's light shines in us. That Proverbs 4.18 tells us that the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Until that day, every Christian knows this. We trip, we fall, that all of us, even those in the light, sin daily. Sin, real sins, sin, big sins. Yet those who are in the light grow over time. And Christ's blood has more than enough power to do that. Do you believe that this afternoon? Do you believe that it has the power to cleanse you of your deepest shame, of that sin that clings so closely? Christian, listen to me. It can and it will. This is why the old hymn says, would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Would you o'er evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. I've been at CBC uh, for going on 10 years now. Again, we used to be North Point, but now we're at CBC. And I've seen this sanctifying power in many of you. I've heard you confess deep sin, sin that you thought you'd never be able to put to death. And yet, you've kept gathering with God's people. You've kept pressing into community and you kept confessing your sin many times through intense shame and tears. And yet, look where you are now. Look at how the Lord has grown you. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in that. I'm sure that all of us who have walked with Christ for any time now can see how he's helped us put sin to death. And so we're not perfect yet, but we are being perfected. And one day, you will be perfect forever in the presence and light of your King. And so this brings us to our last point. In verses 8 through 10, we're going to see that we need to confess in the light. So again, in these verses, we see another contrast. We see a contrast between dark and the light. In this comparison, if you will, it's, it's structured like an Oreo. They have verse 8 and 10, which talk about living in the dark. And then sandwiched in the middle is talking about those who are in the light. And so let's look first at verses 8 and 10. And I want you to notice how they parallel each other. Verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Then verse 10 says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. I want to make a couple observations. First, notice that those in the dark, they don't acknowledge 
their sin. But secondly, they're deceived. And when they say they have no sin, while also confessing Christ, they make it seem like God is lying. Not that God could ever lie. But third, their pride here shows that they don't have the truth. They don't have the word dwelling richly in them. Simply John saying that those who don't confess their sin don't have his message, his gospel that he has proclaimed in them. So even though they might be able to talk like Christians, they don't live like Christians. Listen, our sin for sure damages our witness to the world. But you know what's often more damaging? When we're unwilling to acknowledge our sin. Sadly, I've seen many friends leave the church. And most, if not all of them, will say things like, Christians are hypocrites. How could I ever be one of them? Before I became a Christian, I, I would have said the same thing. And I did. And regardless of if that accusation is true or not, I pray that those outside of our church would see something different here. I pray that, that we would be a people that are willing to confess and acknowledge our sin. That this is what John tells us to do in verse 9. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice again here that confess is in the present tense. It's saying that confessing is a continuous action. Martin Luther once said that all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. Our life as a Christian starts when we believe in Christ and we repent. And we repent by confessing our sin and confessing our need for Christ. But this isn't just the beginning of the Christian life. We continue to repent by continually confessing. That when we confess, we show that Christ's word is in us. And what do we find when we continually confess? Listen to this. We find a father that is continually faithful, continually just and righteous. We find a father that has forgiven us of all of our sin. We find a father that has cleansed us of our sin and made us righteous. So brothers and sisters, if that's true, then why, why wouldn't we confess our sin? Why wouldn't we bring it into the light? That weary Christian, lift your drooping eyes. Your father, the one that you and I have sinned against, welcomes you with open arms. So bring your sin. He's forgiven you. Bring your shame. He's cleansed you. So I wonder then, what's, what's holding you back from confessing that sin? What's holding you back from bringing that one thing into the light, that place of deep shame? If many of us are being honest, we don't want to confess to others because we often don't trust others. 
We think, sure, Christ welcomes me, but will they? Brothers and sisters, we don't just need gospel doctrine. We need a gospel culture. We need to be those who welcome others, warts and all, because Christ has welcomed us. But that culture doesn't come overnight. It's cultivated over years and decades. That that's something that we've been trying to cultivate in this church ever since it was planted. And so how have we been trying to do that? Well, first, we build that gospel culture through corporate worship. The church's worship shapes worshipers. This is why our gathering is gospel-shaped. That every time we gather, we want to remember that God's holy. We want to recognize that we're sinners and sufferers and saints. And that Jesus is our Savior. And so in a sense, we rehearse the gospel story every week when we gather together. And this is also why during our service, we corporately confess sin. That confessing doesn't come natural to us. It's not what we do instinctually. And so we need to be taught. And our prayer of confession each week helps teach us how to do that. That you'll notice that we open a passage of the Bible and that we pray in light of that passage. That it's teaching you a simple way to do that on your own. But that's not the only reason why we do a prayer of confession. It also communicates that this is a place where you can confess sin. You don't have to be a fake. You don't have to keep hiding. You can bring your sin into the light and we'll walk with you, not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. And so secondly, we build that culture by meeting together outside of the gathering. That can either be at our dinner table, over a cup of coffee, at a fellowship group. We have... In the past year or two, we've wanted to have an easy on-ramp into creating those kind of relationships. And so that's why we created one another groups. And so if you need a place where you can confess sins, study God's word, remember the gospel, put sin to death, and help others put sin to death, then I would encourage you to join one of these groups that you can do that. Uh, you can sign up online and we can get you placed in one of those groups. But for those of us that are in a group, or just if you're doing this generally in your home or elsewhere, let me encourage you how to cultivate a gospel culture of confession as you meet with others. First, when someone confesses, it's just something I've noticed to be helpful, thank them for their honesty. Don't let your initial reaction be scolding or being exasperated with them or saying, are you serious, you did that again? Come on, man. No, instead, recognize their courage and humility that they've trusted you enough to, to tell that to you and to seek your counsel. But when we confess sin, just as we do in our gathering every week, we wanna be reminded of good news. And so I would encourage you as you meet with others to lead off with that, to remind them of the gospel, remind them what our passage says today, that the Father is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. 
They remind them that Christ gave his life and was raised for them. And remind them that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now the spirit that dwells in all of God's people. Give them good news. But then thirdly, I would encourage you to help them take one step in the right direction. It can often be easy to go, okay, how can I give this person 10 things that they need to do? That can often be overwhelming and not as helpful um, just from what I've seen in personal experience. So I would encourage you in that time to help them brainstorm through what's one way that they can fight that particular sin this week. And then lastly, well, not lastly, but fourth, I would encourage you to follow up with them. That that next time you meet together, ask them, how is it, how is it going? How is it going aiming to put this sin to death with the gospel? That you might even text them or call them that week before you meet again and ask them how you're doing. But lastly, we repeat steps one through four. That as long as we're on this side of eternity, we're going to have sin to confess. Yet God has graciously given us one another. And so let's patiently help one another put sin to death in remembering these gospel truths that we sung earlier. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. At the end of this letter, John writes these words in chapter 5, verse 13. You can flip there with me if you'd like. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. If you're here today and you're a Christian, I, I want to remind you that John hasn't written this letter so that you would be tangled up in knots doubting if you're a Christian. That he wants you to know and he wants you to be certain that you have eternal life. And so that's why we would recognize that the foundation of our assurance is that God saves sinners like you and me through Jesus Christ. And that when we believe in that truth, that we receive eternal life and righteousness in him. But as we walk in the light and as we confess our sins, that that's something that the Spirit uses over time to strengthen our assurance. That we can go, oh, I really have believed that Jesus is the Son of God. That I can see him working in me. And so, Christian, I hope that as you read this letter, as you study it, as you meditate on what we talked about today, that this would be something that you can look back and see, man, look at all the ways that God's growing me. I can see his hand in my life. I can see him working. And that your assurance would be strengthened. But friend, if you're not a Christian, I want to ask you, what kind of assurance do you have? If you haven't trusted in Christ, if you have rejected him with your life, 
Friend, how can you stand before the God who is light? What will you do when you see Jesus the way that John saw Jesus when he was transfigured, the way he saw him in Revelation 1? Friend, that is a terrifying sight. And if you have not been cleansed of your sin, if you don't have a mediator, he will cast you into eternal darkness. Listen, if we're in the dark, we are dead in our sin. We are in a grave that we can't dig ourselves out of. The only thing that you can do is believe in this Christ. And when you do so, you find forgiveness for your sin. That he lived the life that you and I couldn't live. Yet he also died the death that we deserve. That he took the curses that we deserve for our disobedience. And he died on the cross. And yet the father raised him three days later. And he now rules and reigns in heaven. And will one day return to judge the living and the dead. Friend, you can know that Christ. You can know the Father. So trust in him. And again, if, if that's a new message to you, if you've never heard that before, I'd love to talk with you after the gathering. I know that all of our other elders who led the prayers who will be at the Lord's table in just a moment, they would love to talk with you after the gathering. That, every, that any member would love to talk with you that we all had someone before that walked us through what the gospel was and proclaimed good news to us. And so we would all love to do that for you. And so friend, don't wait. Trust in Christ. Let's pray.